Hello and welcome back to the Bunker Daily. I'm Andrew Harrison. Thanks to everybody who listened to our live stream on Thursday evening. There's a video here up on Zoom now on our Patreon page if you missed it so you can sign up and see it for yourself. If you back us for as little as £2 a month on Patreon you'll get access to all of our live streams plus the podcast without adverts and very stylish mugs and t-shirts too. Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast. Now we're recording under lockdown conditions here so you may notice a little bit of uh, sonic unusualness as my my, uh, my chimney howls like crazy but please bear with us. Today on the show we're often told we're living through historic times but what does that actually mean what can the crises of the past teach us about this one we're enduring right now are we living through a changing of the guard a transition from one era to another like we saw in 1945 1979 or even 1997 and what will life be like afterwards with me today i've got one of the best and most entertaining public historians around if you want to understand britain then alwyn turner's books crisis what crisis britain in the 1970s rejoice rejoice britain in the 1980s and a classless society britain in the 1990s are the place to go and you might shudder at the thought of what is britain in the 20 teens will be called probably stay alert or something like that Alwyn, hello thank you for uh, coming on the bunker how are you doing hello yes no it's good to join you thank you that it's a uh, it, th- thanks for making time for us i mean historians love to cite the the chinese saying about interesting times um where does the covid crisis fit into that kind of an analysis it's it's not quite the black death but it's a fair bit bigger than when the kfc ran out isn't it <laughs> it it's clearly massive and um I mean, the problem being a historian looking at it is there's, there's no distance at all. And it's very, you know, this is a time for commentators, really. Um, what this means, really, who knows? It is unlike any of the other um, crises that uh, in living memory, not just mine, but anybody's living memory, it affects so much of life. It is really difficult to see quite what survives and what doesn't at this stage. But clearly things are going to be uh, it's a cliche. Obviously, things are going to be different. They always are. But really, this is uh, this has ramifications in a way that previous crises simply don't. I mean, we're seeing things cited on the front of newspapers, such as there's going to be an economic crash, the likes of which we haven't seen since 1707. Um, are we really having to look on that grand scale? Because... You know, your brand of history has been, you know, you've covered the crisis years of post-war Britain and they all turn out to be crisis years. We tend to think of history as from the end of the war and before that is kind of uh, all takes place in black and white. Are we going to need to learn to take a longer perspective on this stuff? I, I, I genuinely don't think that the, the economic crisis is not like anything we've experienced before because the fall is going to be so sharp and so rapid. And the official projections are that it will then be a return, that it will be a nice V-shaped recession and uh, and the re, uh, the recovery will be equally rapid. I have no idea whether that's true. And I frankly, I'm not convinced that anybody else does either because we've not been in this position. And, and apart from the simpler economic facts of it, there is a different psychology to this, I think, because this is a self-inflicted uh, recession. We've not done that before. Even, even back in 1979 to 81, when uh, when the, the the early years of the the Margaret Thatcher government, when they were experimenting with monetarism and then abandoned it, and in the process, huge changes were enacted on the country. We were still going to have a recession then. You know, there the, the, the had still been the Iranian Revolution, counter revolution that had driven up oil prices. There was still a massive demographic bulge coming into the workforce. There was North Sea oil coming on, which overvalued uh, sterling as a currency. There were all these external factors that were beyond our control. This time, we have decided 
and not just we, but most of the world has decided to have a recession. And I don't know how that changes our thinking about it, because we've not done it before. Um, but it's, it's, it's not simply about some kind of abstract economic process. This is about uh, the, the, the psychology of each of us, I think. Yeah. And your brand of history is very much about, about people. It's about how the events that have surrounded Britain in, in the post-war years, where the, where the rubber met the road, as it were, and you talk a lot about the kind of crosstalk between popular culture and fashion mm. and entertainment and kind of high politics and, and, and economics. This is obviously on a grander scale, and as you say, comes from a, from a, a different source. But is there precedent in how the British people tends to reorganise itself after either a massive external shock or perhaps a, a, a massive internally generated one? Do we, do, we, do we have set ways that we fall back into? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that there's, that there's a, a huge amount of uh, change as noted several years after any of these events. I mean, there are things, that, you know, cultural forms that change. Um, the, the oil crisis of late 73 into early 1974, uh, that gave us Sunday football, for example, because we weren't allowed to have midweek football because it used floodlights. And so, therefore, they had to introduce it as an emergency measure. Um, much against the, uh, the, the the wishes of the football industry, they had to introduce Sunday afternoon matches. And, of course, once introduced, they never go. So there are kind of lingering, minor little changes to the culture. But I don't know that it's been particularly big before. I think the other difference with this, apart from, as I say, the psychology of this is something we've chosen to do to ourselves – is it comes in the midst of what is clearly a repositioning in British terms. I mean, this is not the global position, but in this country, there is clearly a repositioning of where we are, what we believe in, and, and what we want the country to look like. Uh, it comes so hard after uh, the Brexit vote, and we still haven't quite adapted to that. So, so this time, I suspect there will be big differences, because it's not, it's, it, it doesn't exist in isolation. But other economic crises, they, they, they do come and go. You know, um, the, the, the 2008 recession, we were told at the time that it was going to be the worst since, since the 20s. It was. it was. It was a terrible recession. But I'm not sure that it really changed the nature of the country. Um, this time, I suspect it will. That was the thing that perplexed so many people about the 2008 recession, in that it was so uneven, unevenly distributed and particularly not distributed to the kind of people who are writing the front pages and possibly putting together the political podcasts in that the depth of the recession was almost, you know, insulated. The people suffering from it most were not, were not, were not getting a voice. This is going to be much more um, all-encompassing. And I, I, I think that is the biggest shift that we've seen in the last 20-odd years is that insistence that our voices need to be heard. People wish to participate. They want to be involved in public life broadly, not simply in terms of politics, but in, in they wish to be part of this society and have felt that they are being excluded. That is clearly not the case now. Um, and and I, I, I don't know, it, it feels to me as if, as if this will ramp it up still further, yes. It's been quite fascinating how the, not just the NHS rounds of applause, uh, the kind of involvement in local uh, you know, food distribution, looking in on your neighbours and so forth. You know, it's it, it's often been quite easy for, you know, a certain type of person to mock that kind of thing. But it made me think that 
you know, keep calm and carry on isn't just an old poster. There is something a bit deeper in there, which people kind of instinctively hew towards, but also feel like that they ought to, that somewhere in there is a source of identity. I know, I, I agree entirely. I mean, I, I think one of the problems we have in this country possibly is that uh, we tend to refer to that as the Blitz spirit, which is not a, not the best bit of branding. Um, it makes it look as if it's um, nostalgic and, and retro rather than simply people wishing to express um, a sense of community. It, it's, it's more than anything else. It's a rejection of Margaret Thatcher's there is no such thing as society. And I know she's quoted out of context, etc. But the reason that, that that slogan permeated so well is because people recognised uh, what they saw as a truth in it, no matter what she meant. They, they, they understood it. And I think um, that's precisely what we're seeing now. People uh, making sure that the elderly neighbour has got their shopping done for them. This, this, this is part of just being a society, of having community. And I, I, it seems to me that if we look for positives in what's happening at the moment, and I tend to because I tend to be optimistic, there are good signs in this. And, and I think there have been over a period of time. I, I, uh, you, you go back to that massive wave of enthusiasm for the 2012 Olympics and the volunteers who everybody was very keen to pay tribute to, that they, they were the ones who had made the game such a, such a happy experience. That was people wishing to participate, wishing to belong. It's a very strong message. And, and it seems to me that that's, that's kind of where we are now. And, and again, it ties in with the Brexit vote. Um, this is part of the same same process. I'm just about old enough to remember the winter of discontent and even dimly the oil shock. Mm. And I, you know, even though I was a kid at the time, I don't remember this kind of thing happening then. I don't remember in 1978, 1979, when, you know, as as legend had it, had it bodies went unburied, mm. rubbish, rubbish uncollected in the streets. So I don't remember a similar thing taking place amongst my, my older relatives. Nobody was talking about taking, you know, boxes of vegetables around to the old girl up the road am i misremembering that wasn't you know this stuff better than i no it, well it was it was it was pre-thatcher and 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 i think that the, the nation had convinced itself over the course of the 80s that we'd we'd got away from those things which is why the no such thing as society resonated so deeply and then we, we started to feel that maybe we'd lost something. But I think it was more integral into society at the time anyway. Britain was a much more equal society in the 1970s, economically. Um, and the, 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 if there are parallels, I think that's where we have to go because what happened in the 70s tended to affect everybody. If the lights went out, they went out. You might be one of the handful of people who lived in the country and had your own generator, but uh, but basically everybody was affected by this stuff. And I think that's that's what's happening now is because this touches everybody. And therefore there is um, a sense of national community as well, I think, that is not necessarily that well expressed at the moment, but it is there. And, and, and I feel that um, that 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 is available to be built on to uh, to develop in the future. My abiding memory of uh, 1973 and 1974 is uh, waking up in the morning and finding baked beans trodden into the carpet because we'd all had to eat in the dark. <laughs> and you kind of yeah. wonder, there, there, there will be kids now experiencing a similar thing that they they will remember in their, you know, mm -hmm. when they're in their 50s, that, you know, the time we had to spend, you know, eight weeks at home in the house, desperately oh, yes. trying to amuse one another, that kind of thing. And it does imprint things on you in a way, doesn't it? That, that, that mm -hmm. The effect of which can be unpredictable. 
Yeah, th- th- then was a good time to invest in uh, candle makers, presumably. Um, yes, but also to invest in uh, fire alarms, as everybody burnt their houses down. <laughs> and carpet cleaners, and possibly, carpet yes. Cleaning. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, do you think we are at one of those moments where one era of politics flips into another? I mean, you know, famously 1945 and 1979, mm-hmm. possibly to a less permanent degree 1997 you're in a you're in a changing of the guard you're in a kind of a phase change i, I you see I, I, I don't i don't think 97 counts at all but right. uh, but um, don't disappoint me as a blairite don't <laughs> cheer me up i think i think the groundwork had already been laid but um um yes i do i mean genuinely this is this is a huge potentially this is the, the start of a new era um and as i say it's 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 it's, it's the double whammy of brexit and covid um uh, they will not be easy to separate in future years looking back. Um, but but there is a difference in tone um, and a, a, a genuine difference in, in how politics is, uh, is, is, is enacted. I mean, this much, much bigger than those previous uh, years. I mean, I, I agree with you, 45 and 79, obviously, but still politics carried on. Parliament was still where politics happened and now it's not um partly because of the restrictions um and so parliament is sparse and and all of that but but that was already changing anyway i think we 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 have a government uh that takes its mandate from the people as a government rather than as a parliament i'm not entirely sure obviously where that goes and how that works out but the fact that boris johnson makes television announcements rather than going to parliament upset parliament last week but it's significant it, it, it is it is an in, uh, a strong indication of where we are now the parliament simply doesn't matter a great deal and that's part of the post-brexit fallout as well that long stalemate when nothing could get through parliament has helped to de- delegitimize it i think in the eyes of the people so we, I, th- I think we're entering a phase where politics is is done very differently, not simply a change in the uh, in the political colouring, but in the political system itself. I was watching the the, uh, the Johnson announcement um, and thought. Firstly, I thought, you know, when you when you do it this way rather than in Parliament, you do, you may think that you're insulating yourself entirely from interrogation and you simply get to deliver your piece but what you do is you you open yourself up to being judged on television terms so the discussion was not about the substance it was you know entirely it was it was about the presentation did he wave his arms around too much did he look sweaty did he look convincing as if we're dealing with a contestant in a reality tv show rather than a, than a prime minister attempting to deliver a message it also struck me as clearly one of those moments that Again, a moment that will would turn up in a future edition of one of your books, the thing that everybody watched, the thing that, you know, the 27 million people are supposed, supposed to watch this, this thing. Do you think events, you know, with your experience of, of, of writing about these big turning points in post-war British history, did televised events like that move the dial? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, again, that's part of the deal, is, is the, the, the direct communication with the public that is being sought. The difference now, of course, is uh, in, in a way that wouldn't have been there in previous generations, is that the public has a way of responding now. Uh, social media means that we feel that we have a voice as well. And so it's where it previously would have been um, 
you know, the, 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 the fireside chats of, of, of American presidents where they, they're passing the message to us and, and we are passively receiving it. That's not the case anymore. This is now an, an interactive uh, event. Not literally at the time. It's pre-recorded and it's broadcast. But then everybody wishes to participate in analysing it and, and debating it. And that's different. That's that's not somewhere we've been. Um, and it seems to me not necessarily a bad thing. This 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 is this is people wishing to be part of it. Well, there's um, an argument that the entire history of post-war Britain is about the end of deference and the mm-hmm. uh, the, the end of yep. the Mister Chumley Warner world of the of the black and white film, where the the Home Secretary says, "I shall be bringing in many measures," and the interviewer says, "Thank you very much." Um, you mm-hmm. know, a, a, a collected set series of your volumes would probably that would be the through line, I would imagine. Absolutely, yeah. No, and and I, I, I like to date it from I think it's 1968 when the uh, the first radio phone-in show on British on British radio. And the start of the uh, the idea that everybody has a right to their opinion. Yeah, for the last fifty years we've been uh, we've been working closer and closer to that, and that will change. Uh, as I say, how we experience politics, how politics is practiced. One major difference between two of the turning points that we mentioned, nineteen forty-five and nineteen seventy-nine, each of them was kind of brought on by a conscious choice by the electorate. They elected a new government mm-hmm. with a new way of doing things, a new perspective on the world. They kind of consciously inaugurated a new era. This new era is being imposed upon us, and the government hasn't changed. In fact, if anything, the new era has changed the government itself. The government, as it stands now, is not doing the things that it wanted to do in January. It's being driven entirely entirely by events. Do you think that's, you know, as, as you've described, people want to participate, people want a sense of control, and, you know, my back of the envelope title for your for your book on Britain in the 2010s would be "Take Back Control" because that was the entire raison d'etre of that decade. Do you think the fact that this stuff has been is being imposed upon us externally is likely to lead to you know yet more demands for even the illusion of control from the electorate that that that, that you know that we particularly in Britain, which has an inflated idea of its own influence in the world, that we will really not like the idea of being bounced along by events. It seems to me that what the government is trying to do as far as one can tell, is to involve people in the process. The idea that we all have a role to play, I think, is quite an attractive one, if it can be sold to people so it doesn't feel as though these are external events. This is something we are collectively deciding. And I think that's what changes. In it. I, th- I think there is that element. And it does come very soon after... Um, really quite a seismic general election. December was, was a big deal. That, that Before COVID, I was already thinking that that is going to be one of the elections that is going to be remembered in a way that um, 2005 was not, for example. Um, it did feel like it was potentially a big turning point anyway. How, how, in, in what way? Because, I mean, we all have our ideas of how that was a massive turning point. What, 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 how would you describe it as a key turning point? Because I, it, it, it felt as though this it, it came after a long period of, of, of that, that uh, impotence of the House of Commons, the idea of Johnson's appeal to the country seemed to be to appeal beyond Parliament already. It, it already felt as though this was something else. This was a new form of politics. Because there had been that clash of um, d- 
democratic legitimacy between an elected parliament and a referendum result. The December election, to me, felt as though it was on the side of the referendum rather than uh, a normal parliamentary election. And it remains to be seen, obviously, how this plays out. Uh, At the moment, as one would expect, the government has uh, very, very broad support. Governments tend to at moments of crises. Uh, It's not secure and and perceptions can change very, very rapidly. But uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult to know where we go with this, but it does feel as if it's something that we were already engaged upon and this has hastened it further. And I think that's possibly true of quite a lot of the impacts of uh, COVID. The fact that so many people have been working at home and socialising through electronic media, that stuff was already happening and this has given it a massive boost. So it may be that it simply amplifies trends that were already in place, both politically and culturally, and indeed socially. Yeah. We've just had the VE Day 75th day celebrations which were mm-hmm. odd but still you know poignant and, and quite powerful mm. um and it but it definitely felt like the end of something the the next you know when the, when the 100th anniversary of VE day comes around no participants will be there um the generation that experienced it secondhand won't, won't really be there um do you think that you know british people tend to reach for the the kind of narrative of the second world war as their comfort blanket in all circumstances. It shows us at our best. It shows us the way we like to think of ourselves and so on. Do you think that that's going to maintain its pull as time goes by, as the people who experienced it firsthand, but also secondhand by their parents, move from the scene? It has to move eventually, surely. I, I, when I was writing about the 90s, it... I really felt at the time in the 90s that that was the end, the 50th anniversary in 1995, which was a fantastic occasion. It had this wonderful symbolism of uh, the, the balcony of Buckingham Palace, the Queen Mother and her two daughters, Elizabeth and Margaret, the same three women who had stood there 50 years earlier on VE Day itself. That that was just an extraordinary moment of, of, of the symbolism of, of continuity in a nation. But it did feel at that stage as though the Second World War had, had largely faded. That was that was kind of like a full stop because we'd reinvented our, our national myth to you know, the nineteen sixties had become the crucial moment when we when we dominated the world of popular culture. Um but yeah, but you're right, <laughs> the Second World War doesn't go away. It's still there. Um V Day seventy five, um I, I suspect isn't going to be particularly remembered, but uh, but Captain Tom is going to be remembered. Um, he's going to become one of the great symbols of, of of this moment, and a lot of the appeal of that was that it was touching back into that that national mythology. Yeah, and and that's that's okay. You see, I don't have a problem with this. Yes, we 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 do get obsessed about the Second World War. It is it looms very very large in our national mythology, but all nations have myths. It's important that we have myths. It gives us something to cling to, 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 to hold us together and to bind us. That's what the purpose of mythology is. We have um, the Second World War, 1940 in particular, um, is, is etched into our national mythologies now and is not going away. The mid-1960s, likewise, as I say, when we were 
uh, at our most exciting and vibrant in, in cultural terms. Um, and what this has re really reinforced is that the NHS is part of that mythology as well. The, these are sacred things. You do not you do not tamper with them. That's fine. We all all societies have to have sacred things, and have to have vener venerated institutions. That's part of the deal. Um, and I think our our institutions seem to be uh, emerging reason reasonably well from this. Certainly, the monarchy. I think the Queen's two broadcasts, one on COVID and one on VE Day. Um, attracted huge audiences as well and went down very well. The BBC seems to me to have uh, to have enhanced its reputation um, and the NHS very, very clearly has done so. Um, you know, I, I, so yeah, the, the Second World War, I'm, it, it's got to fade at some point. All, all, all myths do eventually die, but uh, but it's a powerful one and it's it's not a bad one. Yes. You know, we did defeat Nazism. I mean, yeah. I know it wasn't us and, and all the rest. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm enough of a historian <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to know that to know where the myth-making comes in. But even so, if you're going to have a myth, have one where the bad guys really, really are bad. You know, it's not, it's, it's, it's not like uh, the old Western frontier myth in America, you know. Yeah. At it's least we least, were morally correct at the at time. At least it's based in truth, yes. Yeah, we, were, we, were, we were on the moral high ground, frankly. Um, and we may exaggerate it, but, yeah, so what? You mentioned the, the Queen's broadcasts then, um, and th uh, things that run through your books are the, are the moments in history that kind of cut through into everyday life and live in the collective memory, calling the book Crisis What Crisis, mm -hmm. even though Callum never actually said it, did he? He, was kind of he, he, did, he didn't even say the word crisis, let alone the phrase. <laughs> <laughs> or things like the lady's not for turning or the pen yeah. in your pocket will not be effective or, you know, there is no such thing in society. Do you think any of the moments or phrases from, from now are going to live? You know, in, 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 in 10 years' time, Alwyn, when you're writing, uh, you know, Britain in the 2020s, what will be the things from now that will be appearing in the early chapters? I, I I don't know that there are any phrases that have last. I mean, you you, you were saying um, you know, we want our country back or bring back, back take and, back control. Yeah. I mean, th those things have 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 a resonance. But I, there's been nothing during the uh, the COVID crisis that is is going to last. I don't think particularly. I suspect it's going to be images. It's going to be, um, I say, Captain Tom is going to survive as as one of the great symbols of it. The concept of homeschooling, I suspect, is. Uh, is going to have changed a lot of people's attitudes towards, uh, well, towards teachers who have sometimes been slightly maligned in our in our culture. Um, it now looks as if it might actually be quite a tough job after all, even with only a couple of them, let alone a roomful. There will be jokey bits that survive, I suspect. Uh, the, the, the footage of animals uh, wandering around town centres, um, which seems to have died off in recent weeks, but that, that was very sweet. Um, there are the odd national idiosyncrasies so that uh, even in the early days of lockdown when there were serious restrictions on what shops should be open off licenses were allowed because this is britain and you need the off license those things i think will uh, will last but i suspect it's going to change it in terms of of how we how we live in the, that we have got so used to now communicating through screens and we wait for the, the the phrasings that are going to that are going to last the slogans that are going to make it protect the NHS may well be one of them because it's, it's 
I, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with the policy, but it is it is an intriguing slogan. Rather than the NHS is there to protect you, it's our job to protect the NHS. is a, is a really odd um, <laughs> concept in terms of healthcare provision. But actually, um, it makes absolute sense because when you know, what what do people remember from the 2012 Olympics ceremony? Two things: mm-hmm. the Queen jumping out of a helicopter and the NHS moment. Yeah, absolutely. When every, which which crystallised for everybody. And you know, if you're a, if you're a, a big wet lefty liberal like me, you know that you kind of mourn the Britain that was lost after tw- after the 2012 uh, kind of uh, ceremony. Everything that was good seemed to be packed into that. And I can see how a, a kind of professional sloganeer communications guy like Cummings would would absolutely distill that down hmm. to something you know to a, a tight little sort of shot of rocket fuel that the country would would absolutely imbibe. Yeah, yeah. Um, see, I, I don't think that was lost. I, I, I think that's still there. Um, it's just we've been going through a, a fairly difficult process of readjustment. But that process will be followed elsewhere in the world. This is not unique to us. Um, the, 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 the things that led to Brexit exist elsewhere. Um, that, that, that shift of how, how we view politics whether we believe in representative democracy anymore and if we do how that works those are big questions that will be asked in in every developed democracy in the world the, these are big things the idea of that that that, that coming together of the nation in, in 2012 for the olympics that that wish is still there and it will be manifest again I, and I, I said earlier I, I suspect possibly that's part of what we're seeing at the moment the idea that we are all important, our contribution means something. This is not something that is happening to us. We are deciding it. We are active in it. That's why it's different to 2008. 2008, that economic crisis was something that not even, I mean, Gordon Brown says he was not aware that these banking practices had grown up. And he'd been the Chancellor of the Exchequer for 10 years. Um, In Working in London, the the, the, the the financial centre of Europe, he didn't know what was going on, let alone the rest of us. It was it was this terrible catastrophe inflicted by a handful of people who whose names we would never know, and we were expected to pay for it, um, and that was it. We we that that destroyed any sense of agency on our part. The difference this time is we are involved. Um, and I, they, yeah, that will change how we how we perceive it. I think. Owen, you've in a weird way cheered me right up. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I, I'm very. very I'm always yeah. optimistic. Things things are going to be fine. <laughs> things can only get better. Yeah, there's another book, right? That yeah. one. So, what are you working on now? What's your next thing? I, I am indeed working on a book about the early years of this century. All right. I'm coming to an end in 2015. Oh, uh, because I, I don't think we're in a position yet to see how the uh, the referendum works out. But uh, there is a moment so, uh, in 2016, basically, where the country does change. I think there is a different world. I mean, I've, I've just just finished reading uh, David Cameron's memoirs, and they're, oh, fun, they're, they're very brave of you. Uh, yeah, we, well, we, I, we all extend our thanks to you for that. I, I do it so that you don't have to. I, <laughs> I will fill it out with a couple of decent anecdotes in it. Um, <laughs> But it feels just so peripheral. Yeah. I mean, he was prime minister until a couple of years ago, and he, it just seems like a different world now. 
Yeah, you know, so thing, things have changed so rapidly. Today, as we speak, is the anniversary of um, Gordon Brown leaving office. Uh, ten years, and it seems like an age. Yeah, and, and also seems inconsequential. Like the, 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 one of those, you know, the prime ministers that never were. Yeah, you know, the stopgap ones. And and indeed, Cameron feels a bit like that. But he was prime minister for six years. Mm. Um, almost as long as John Major, and John Major feels kind of peripheral as well at times. So, you know, maybe that's just the nature of these things. Maybe, the, these maybe aren't so. the big figures. Hi. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the Bunker Daily. It's been highly illuminating and also, like I say, pretty cheering. Listeners, if you haven't read Crisis, What Crisis? Uh, rejoice, Rejoice, or A Classless Society, um, I recommend them heartily. They are both uh, instructive and illuminating, but they're also very good fun. Alwyn, thank you very much for joining us. Thank and, you. Uh, we hope to see you again on the podcast one of, one of these days. Indeed. Listeners, we've got the full-length show tomorrow, Wednesday, and more Bunker Daily editions on Thursday and Friday. If you'd like to leave us a friendly review on Apple Podcasts, that would be really nice of you. And if you'd like to support us, then search Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out how to do that and what good stuff you get when you do. Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you. Bye-bye. The Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producer was Jacob Archbold, and audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production. Mm-hmm.